The China and Africa podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Africa-China Reporting Project at Witt University in Johannesburg. The ACRP promotes balanced, considered reporting on Africa-China relations through innovative training programs held throughout the year. More information at africachinareporting.co.za. Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander. Normally, Kobus van Staden from the South African Institute of International Affairs is with me by my side doing the show, but unfortunately, he got called away on a work assignment. So today, I'll be flying solo to talk about U.S. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson's somewhat controversial visit to Africa. Now, this is the first diplomatic trip he's made to the continent in what many have described as a damage control mission after President Donald Trump described African countries as being, well, you know, assholes. He also invented that famous country of Nambia. And for the most part, he hasn't really paid any attention to Africa whatsoever since he's been in office. So all of a sudden, Rex Tillerson is deployed to the continent, and he's off to see five countries, including Ethiopia, Chad, Kenya, Djibouti, and Nigeria were on his itinerary. Now, what's been interesting is that during the course of his trip, Lots of questions came up about Trump's vulgarity and even U.S. policy, and Tillerson did an excellent job of deflecting that. He really didn't speak a lot to the president, which is rather unusual. Instead, he seems to be focusing a lot of attention on the Chinese and Beijing's massive presence in Africa. And really, he was nonstop at it. At a press conference in Addis Ababa last week, Tillerson warned that Africans risk their sovereignty, I mean their sovereignty, if they take too many loans from the Chinese, he also said that they can lose control of their natural resources at the hands of the Chinese, and he accused the Chinese of engaging in what he called predatory loan practices. So he was not shy at all about really focusing on the Chinese. And even before he got on the plane for Africa, he made it clear that the Chinese were going to be a key part of his agenda. Here's some comments he made at a speech at George Mason University before his departure, where he contrasted the difference between the U.S. and the Chinese approaches in Africa. The United States pursues develop sustainable growth that bolsters institutions, strengthens the rule of law, and builds the capacity of African countries to stand on their own two feet. We partner with African countries by incentivizing good governance to meet long-term security and development goals. This stands in stark contrast to China's approach, which encourages dependency, using opaque contracts, predatory loan practices, and corrupt deals that mire nations in debt and undercut their sovereignty, denying them their long-term self-sustaining growth. Chinese investment does have the potential to address Africa's infrastructure gap, but its approach has led to mounting debt and few, if any, jobs in most countries. When coupled with the political and fiscal pressure, this endangers Africa's natural resources and its long-term economic political stability. Now, the Chinese aren't taking this lightly as diplomats up and down the chain of command are pushing back very hard. Foreign Minister Wang Yi blasted Tillerson's comments, calling them irresponsible. And Beijing's ambassador to the African Union, Kuang Weiling, well, he took a slightly softer approach, telling Chinese state TV that the U.S. position is, quote, disappointing. I think that uh, the statement is very um, disappointing. Certainly, uh, the statements are not true. I think, as I, I said earlier, that uh, there is a problem in China. Only your feet can tell you whether their shoes fit you or not. I think the, uh, it is the, uh, the Africans 
who can say whether this kind of relationship is beneficial to them or not. The fact that uh, China has remained uh, the biggest uh, trading partner for Africa uh, for the past uh, nine consecutive years tells you something. Right? And I believe that uh, more and more African countries are interested in uh, enhancing cooperation with China, in attracting more Chinese investments, because they benefit, they have benefited a lot from these, uh, the relationship. So this week, let's get some perspective on clearly what's become a really interesting international debate about the Chinese in Africa and the U.S. in Africa and what the Africans think of all this. So we thought we would get, you know, the ideal person for this. Now, Brooke Spector is an associate editor at South Africa's Daily Maverick newspaper. But for our purposes today in this conversation, he's also a former U.S. diplomat in Africa and Asia, so has a very, very interesting diplomatic point of view on Tillerson's visit. Brooks, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day to join us from Johannesburg. No, it's a pleasure. Good to be with you. Now, quick question for you. You know, you've been following this and you've been following and writing about Donald Trump and you have not been, you know, sparing your words and your criticism for the president. What do you think that Rex Tillerson is doing by focusing so much attention on the Chinese? And again, I think it's, it's important to say that Hillary Clinton, his predecessor, she also criticized the Chinese. Other secretaries of state visiting Africa have criticized the Chinese, but nowhere near to this extent. What do you think is behind the U.S. strategy here to focus so much attention on the Chinese and not really to focus as much, what it seems like from the headlines, as much on, on Africa itself? Well, I mean, first of all, let's put this into a bit of perspective. Rex Tillerson had previously no government experience. He's never been a diplomat, obviously. He wasn't in the military. He wasn't a civil servant. He's been a businessman. All these years worked for Exxon and then ExxonMobil, a giant uh, international petroleum company. And he's never been known uh, as somebody who minces his words. And he's been sent out on this trip, really, to look at a couple of things. I tend to think that China was sort of second tier on his agenda, because it, from what I could figure and what I could get a feeling for, the single most important thing on this man's agenda was terrorism, counterterrorism, security. Because if you look at the places where he has gone, they all have, in one way or another, a security dimension, with the possible exception of Ethiopia. And that, of course, the AU is located there. But, you know, you talk about West Africa, Nigeria, and neighboring countries. The focus there is entirely on the Sahel and counterterrorism and groups like Boko Haram. There's no discussion of economic issues in that kind of discussion. There's no discussion of cultural connections. There's no soft, light, deft touch that speaks to connections between the two societies and the joint heritage, as exemplified, obviously, by African-Americans. None of that seems to be part of the agenda. And in Djibouti, what is the key question there? There's a big U.S. military base in Djibouti. There's a Chinese military base in Djibouti. There's concern about the way China apparently has increasing influence, if not control, over the port facilities. It's not that the port facilities for Djibouti, it's the port facilities because American military transshipments, American military uh, arrivals and departures, servicing Camp Limontier, or the other bases 
and the other activities in and around the Red Sea and the Arabian Gulf. Um, sorry, the Persian Gulf, Arabian Sea. I get my geography a little scrambled these days. And the one thing that you should pick up is that while the stick was on about counterterrorism and security, and the stick was about in terms of you better watch out, don't borrow too much money from the Chinese because they'll get you, there is also buried in the text clause for the Chinese role in providing certain kinds of construction and infrastructure development assistance to Africa. It seems to me he wasn't taking aim at the Chinese nearly as much as he was taking a cautionary note to African leaders who willingly accept all the aid that may be coming to them through soft loan windows, through the Belt and Road Initiative, and almost implicitly a, hey, we're still in the game too. Support for this podcast comes from the Africa Channel Reporting Project at Wits University School of Journalism in Johannesburg. The ACRP provides reporting grants, workshops, and other professional development opportunities for both African and Chinese journalists. Follow the ACRP on Twitter at WitsChinaAfrica or visit africachinareporting.co.za for information about grants and upcoming seminars. So it's interesting because I was reading a number of the reviews of his trip and some of the diplomatic coverage of it. And one stood out for me in the Christian Science Monitor newspaper in the United States, where he said that Tillerson had a very difficult mission here because for the most part, Africans don't really want to hear what he has to say. For decades, Americans have been talking about civil rights, human rights, good governance, democracy. And at the end of the day, nothing's really changed for the most part. I mean, Africa still struggles in governance. Corruption is still endemic in many parts of the continent. And people feel like the American approach just isn't tangible enough, whereas the Chinese, they can see what they've done. And again, I'm not praising the Chinese here because we've talked about on this program that the Chinese have a lot of problems in Africa, and let's not take anything away from that. But people do know that there are Huawei telephone networks. Those are those new roads. There are new hospitals, new ports, new lots of new things that people can feel and touch and has had an immediate impact on their life. And in the Christian Science Monitor newspaper, the diplomatic reporter said that that is something that is really tangible and practical, and that relates and connects more with an African mass audience than the American kind of notions of democracy and human rights and all the different things that Tillerson's saying differentiates the Americans from the Chinese. What's your take on that? Well, let's be fair. What's the biggest American presence on the continent right now? Um, it's got to be the film Black Panther. Just think about that for a minute. It has been pulling crowds in in Kenya and in South Africa and any place else where it's showing crowds that people have never seen before. People engaged in dress up in a wild melange of American and African fashion, just embracing the film with this extraordinary enthusiasm. And yet it's based on an American comic book from the Marvel Comics Company. And that's the soft power of American society. And that's really all over the place. The problem with American foreign assistance, and you're quite right that, you know, the Chinese foreign aid programs and engagements around the continent have a real tangibility to them. Most American assistance now is really in very, very far removed things from the average man walking around the streets of Lagos or Accra or Nairobi or any place else. They all talk about working with policy units in ministries of this, that, and the other thing, or 
improving planning of this thing or that thing. There's no sense on the ground of you can point to it. That's an American thing. That's why something like the film Black Panther is particularly interesting to watch. But, you know, there's an irony in this trip. While Rex Tillerson has been gallivanting around Africa, news developments have absolutely overwhelmed coverage of this. You watch international news channels or local news channels, the thing about America that's been on the air is this sudden, extraordinary, unplanned, but now planned meeting between North Korea's Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump. And that has superseded almost any other discussion. You know, if you'd been in Rex Tillerson's traveling party, you'd be grinding your teeth in frustration at this point. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's evident that Washington really doesn't care at all about Africa policy. There's still no assistant secretary of state for African affairs. For the most part, there's been very little engagement from the president. This is the first trip. And again, I don't want to sit here and kind of say that, you know, blow sunshine up the booty of the Chinese here by saying the fact that everything they do is right. But I will give them the credit that they're engaged. And it just it's not credible that the Americans are engaged. And so when they say that they are a preferred partner for Africa and African countries, it just doesn't seem credible. And I feel like in reading it, and again, I'm not there, but reading it, that his hosts in these five countries were very, very kind to him. They were very, very courteous, as is custom in most cultures when a visiting diplomat comes. But at the end of the day, they're not really going to pay that much attention to what Tillerson says because, A, they don't think he represents the president, and, B, they know the president isn't taking their continent seriously. Well, I mean, he's not taking it seriously in the sense that Barack Obama certainly did, uh, but there were special But that's not fair. That's not fair. Barack Obama did not take Africa seriously. I mean, he barely went there. He, I mean, Power Africa was a joke of a program. I mean, I, I don't know. I was very critical of Obama and how little he took it. I mean, of all American presidents in the modern era, ironically, it was George W. Bush with his PEPFAR program that did more for Africa than, than Obama or even or certainly Donald Trump. Well, now let's let, let's be careful here. I mean, Obama did actually have four long trips to Africa. And although I have my doubts about impact of Power Africa as well, uh, a much smaller program, the YALI program, Young African Leaders Initiative, took a very thoughtful approach to Africa. It, it reminded people that Africa is a continent that is a very youthful continent. The average age of people is well below 30 and is going on, only going to get younger. And it aimed to build up a critical mass of relationships with all kinds of young professionals across the continent. Whether it will be successful in the long term and even whether Donald Trump will continue it is up for grabs. But the point is, there was something about the way Obama embraced his African heritage that got many people on this continent enthused about him personally, even if they weren't always very happy about his policies or his interest in Africa. The Trump administration very clearly only has one thing in its mind when it thinks about Africa, and that's security, counterterrorism, and related activities. It's not interested in cultural exchange with Africa. It's not interested in a warm, fuzzy relationship with any African countries. And it's only barely thinking about trade, and that's probably because U.S.-Africa trade is a fairly small amount in the grander scheme of things. There are two other things that I think we really need to note here. One Tillerson isn't coming to South Africa. If 20 years ago you had said that, that he was going to Djibouti and Nigeria and Ethiopia, but not coming to South Africa, 
people would have been astonished. And I think that says something about the way South Africa is now deemed to be not as critically or as crucially important to the future of the continent as it would have been a generation earlier. It's become just one more country with problems and possibilities. In the speeches that you cited from Tillerson at the beginning of his trip and even before, there's one little comment in there that leapt right out at me that I've seen nobody else pay any attention to. Tillerson talks in Ethiopia about the need to think through what comes after AGOA. Now, for the sake of your listeners who may not know what AGOA is, it's the African Growth and Opportunity Act. It was law passed by the U.S. Congress. It's not an international treaty, and it eliminated any tariffs on something like 4,000 products that could be imported from African countries to the U.S. Now, up until this point, the major beneficiaries of AGOA have been oil exporting countries and South Africa, and to a lesser degree, a few other countries like Lesotho, which, and in South Africa's case, a whole range of agricultural products, and even, surprisingly, automobiles and automobile parts. But this bill, this act, this law, runs out in 2025, and there is no indication that it will be renewed. There's no indication that President Trump has any inclinations in that direction. He's on record as saying he hates multilateral agreements on trade of any type. And what this says is that African nations better get their act together and figure out how they are going to push for continued duty-free access to the American market, or else they're going to be left out in the cold too. Yeah. I mean, the part that was hard to stomach about all of this is that it felt very, very paternalistic. And the idea that Tillerson is warning African leaders about the dangers of engaging the Chinese implies that African leaders don't have agency on their own to understand these things. There is a certain paternalism to the whole thing. And when I posted these comments on our various social media channels, what was interesting, the reaction, particularly from young people, was, you have got to be kidding me that here is the country that is in debt to the Chinese more than any other country in the world, <laughs> that has a trade deficit with the Chinese, that is, and warning other countries about losing sovereignty because they're taking money from the Chinese. And the fact that an African leaders and policymakers came back against Tillerson saying, we are taking this money in order to build productive capacity, ports, roads, whatnot. They're not taking the money to finance debt the same way that the Americans are. And so there just seemed to be a little bit of incredulity on the part of a lot of Africans to say, wait, how can you possibly be criticizing us when your own country is the one taking more Chinese money and even people saying you're losing your own sovereignty to the Chinese? Well, there's, you know, there's the old aphorism, do as I say, not as I do. But I mean, it's perfectly acceptable for Rex Tillerson to take on the school marm clothing and cape and, and wag his finger at other people, in part because there's a certain apprehension in the United States, as you know, on the part of any number of people who pay attention to these things, that the Chinese, by virtue of a very long strategic game, are making headway in markets that weren't traditionally theirs, and that over time, this will erode whatever presence the United States has in those countries. I mean, just for an example, I mean, uh, China is already South Africa's largest single country trading partner, although it's outweighed by the entirety of the European Union. But keep in mind that the Chinese 
imports from South Africa or South Africa's exports to China are almost entirely largely unprocessed raw materials, mostly mining, mostly mineral commodities, uh, and the Chinese exports to South Africa, in addition to the cash for loans and construction, the exports are household goods and other value-added materials. And so I think within the South African context, at least I can speak most comfortably about that because I see it every day, there is an awkward kind of loving embrace on the one hand and concern on the other, a loving embrace that uh, the Chinese really love us and they want to do this kind of stuff with us, and the concern that maybe we've just not upped our game enough to be able to export products with value added that are worth more to the Chinese. And uh, I mean, I think Tillerson's comments are, are part of the, the larger fabric of things. You know, you've mentioned the ownership of American debt by China. The reason why, of course, the Chinese have bought those bonds is because they're an excellent investment. The one thing you know for sure is that the very last investment on this planet that's going to tank is going to be American bonds, uh, government bonds. And so people buy them. The Japanese used to be the country that bought the most. Now China is but both of them are still outweighed by domestic consumption of American sovereign debt. The return on investment isn't great, but uh, on the other hand, it's quite stable, and it comes in a currency which, whose value you can logically predict in large measure. Uh, the same cannot be said of many others. The bigger problem with this Tillerson visit to Africa goes back to what you were saying right at the beginning, that it comes smack in the middle of what appeared to have been an absolute blank page as far as American relations with Africa in the Donald Trump era, other than the occasional nasty comment or snickering remark. Suddenly there is much fanfare, much flag-bearing and commenting, and yet once he leaves, it's going to be rather hard to see any major differences in the relationships between the U.S. and Nigeria, U.S. and Ethiopia, uh, or any place else. For Americans, that should be a very sobering moment to realize that yeah. the, the Trump administration has largely put Africa in the basket of things to say, when we get to it, maybe we'll deal with it. I guess I'm just reacting a little bit to the context, the historical context of yet another American or European diplomat coming to Africa to lecture Africans on what's best for them. And it's just getting tiring for me because at the end of the day, yeah. I think the Chinese make a very good point here, which is that everything that they're doing in Africa is voluntary. If the Nigerian government doesn't want Chinese loans, it doesn't have to take them. There's, they're not being forced on anybody here. There's nowhere else for them to go to get money at this point for the most part, so maybe that's the reason. But certainly this is not colonial in any way in the sense that this is being forced and they're obligated to take these loans. I don't know that anybody is forcing loans on African governments. I mean, money at this point as a commodity, it's not quite as cheap as it was a year or two ago, but it's near historic lows in terms of its cost. And it isn't simply government loans that you need to follow. and isn't simply uh, loans that you see uh, in commercial markets reported on you know, daily coverage on the exchanges. There's a whole wealth of venture capital just begging for places to invest. And people I've talked to tend to tell me that they would invest more in Africa if they could simply find investable places. That's not money lent to governments per se. That's investments that turn a profit 
and that produce goods and services. And they are looking, a lot of these venture capital firms, investment banks, and so forth, they look desperately for places to put their capital because they do what they always do, is they want the best return they can possibly get for their opportunity. Capital, at this point, is not in short supply globally. There's lots of it. The problem is finding ways to match up that capital with opportunities that produce results. And so it's not that the Chinese have the field all to themselves. There are lots of other competitors. Uh, The money's out there. The opportunities are the problem. Brooks Spector is an associate editor at South Africa's Daily Maverick newspaper. He writes some very, very provocative columns. Uh, In fact, I really recommend you check one out back from January of this year, Trump's cringeworthy prelude to a nasty, dangerous 2018. And uh, I read that with some interest in part because maybe all of that is that's unfolding now with Tillerson's visit to Africa, the the Kim Jong-un summit that's coming up. Maybe that's the dangerous 2018 that Brooks was writing about. And, uh, and so we are so grateful, Brooks, for you joining us and to talk about, you know, the Tillerson visit and also to bring some of your experience as a diplomat in both Africa and Asia to the program. It's been a pleasure. Anytime. As you can tell from what we've written and even from today's conversation, I probably am not Donald Trump's greatest fan. But by the same token, when this event between Mr. Trump and Mr. Kim takes place, I'll tell you, there are going to be an awful lot of people paying attention to that event. That is going to be, I mean, that is fight night. I tell you, give Trump credit that he knows how to make good television. Some people said here in China, they said they said it was like Nixon coming to China. So maybe that is the moment. We'll see. Maybe he's a better uh, diplomatic player than we give him credit for. But that'll do it for this edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander for Copas Van Staden. Thank you so much for listening. The discussion continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show. The guys are also on Twitter, where you can find Kuobas at Stadinsky or Eric at E. Olander. And be sure to sign up for the weekly China in Africa email newsletter by going to www.chinaafricaproject.com.